Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title today is a little shocking. It's called, Not All Growth is Good. Not All Growth is Good Growth. Mark 4.32. And speaking of scary... We just, you know, Halloween week, there's a lot of scary stuff. And I was reading a news article saying what's really scary about Halloween is the amount of candy people eat. So I clicked on it, kind of got my interest, and I went on there. And it didn't really get into the totals, but it just said that 99% of kids eat candy on Halloween. And 50% of adults, big kids, eat candy on Halloween. And they were saying how scary this was. And, and I, think, I was thinking to myself, boy, the writer would really be terrified at our house. Uh, not because we go trick-or-treating for candy. We didn't. We went to happy times and with some other families. We had a super time. It was really a happy time. It was awesome. But Kim, during the week leading up to trick-or-treating, Kim heard one of our kids say to one of their friends, so why do you go trick-or-treating? You know, they're trying to understand because we don't do the trick-or-treating thing. And, and the friend said to them, because we get candy. And our kid, who was, I can't remember which one it was, but they said, oh, we get candy all the time. Yeah, you know, like, what's the big deal about that? You know, so that's what. <laughs> we won't go any further with that. Anyway, Jesus tells a really scary story here, though. A really scary story here in Mark chapter 4, and he makes an important point that not all growth is good growth. If you've ever had cancer, I don't have to tell you that. Uh, if you already know there's growth that happens in the Bible, cancer cells or cancer tumors, if you ever had a, had a, a tumor taken on, and a lot, a lot of folks here have had that, they, they grow, they're growing, right, but they are, can kill you, right? And, and Grace on the mercy ships, Grace Antonini on the mercy ships, sending these pictures back of people that have certain growths, not necessarily cancer, but other growths that, that they're doing surgery on and fixing their face and taking out these huge, you know, tumors, and, and it changes their whole body. Uh, they look so much better now. The before and after pictures and the stories that we're getting back, that shows you that not all growth is healthy growth. In fact, the unhealthy growth can hurt and even kill us. Not just individuals, but can do that to a church. It can do it to the church. The same is true spiritually as it is physically. We're going to look at what Jesus says about this, but let me pray first. Father, we thank you for bringing Mike and Lori back safely. And for the worship, we thank you for each person that you've brought here today. We know that this, is, this part of the parable is, is challenging and even hard to hear in some ways, but we pray that your spirit would help us to hear. We pray for your mercy and grace and that, that, that we could hear your truth and know the love that's behind, behind what you're saying. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Mark 4, 30 to 32, we did it last week, but let's read it again. The parable, this is the final parable here in Mark chapter 4. Jesus is preaching a sermon of a, a group of parables, and it's the parable of the mustard seed. And again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground, yet when planted it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its branches. Now we talked about this last week. There's a positive side and a negative side to the parable of the mustard seed. And last week we talked about the positive side, which was the supernatural growth, this small beginning of Christianity. Jesus is killed, 12 
loser disciples, and he has the resurrection, the ascension, the Holy Spirit comes. Powerful, the, the, the growth of the church throughout the world, amazing, amazing growth, the, the growth of the kingdom and growth of, of, of the church of Jesus Christ. And we also talked about how God will accomplish his purpose in our lives, even though it might look like a mustard seed to us, but God will accomplish his purpose in our lives and for our lives. If you weren't here, get the CD, listen to the podcast, because it's really, I think, a very encouraging promise here from this mustard seed but there's also a negative side to this parable did anybody catch the negative part of it one person did hold on nancy anybody else get it the negative go ahead nancy what's the negative here the what what part of the parable what don't give it all away but what did you say wait she came up to me afterwards and said how about the the birds, right? She said, how about the birds? I think that's not, you know, I, there's a negative side. And I said, Nancy, you're one week ahead of me. One week ahead of me. Don't preach my sermon yet. So uh, the, the birds, the birds are the scary part, the negative side. What do birds represent? Well, we should let the word of God tell us what the birds represent, right? Uh, if we back up in the same sermon that Jesus is preaching a few parables ago, he talked about birds, and in fact, in Mark chapter 4, back up to verse 3, look what he said. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Then you go down to verses 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. The birds, it's not a happy thing that the birds are in the branches. The birds represent the negative. They're, they're the, the negative. It's a warning here that Jesus is giving that even though the church is going to grow in an amazing way, that Satan is going to do his best to cause problems for that church. He's going to try to stop the gospel, and if he, and, and if he can't stop the gospel, he's going to try to penetrate the church of Jesus Christ. It's the same in our life, right? What is Satan trying to do? If, if you're not a Christian, before you're, maybe you're not a Christian yet, or be, remember before you became a Christian, before you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Satan did everything he could to keep us from putting our faith in Christ. That's what he does. Anything he can to distract us and to stop us and plant lies, he'll do anything he can to keep us from coming to Christ. He tries to keep the, us blinded. He blinds the minds of unbelievers to the, the light of the gospel, right? 1 Corinthians. But, or Second Corinthians, one of them. Anyway, I'm getting old. But uh, the the if he can't, once we become a Christian, if he can't stop us from becoming a Christian, once we become a Christian, what does he do? He tries to keep us from growing. He tries to plant the lies in our head and to live the lies, and he tries to keep us from moving forward spiritually. It's the same thing. In fact, uh, there's some really excellent books. I looked out on the shelf to see if they were still there. There's only one left. Two excellent books. Based on the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, Randy Elkhorn wrote a, an updated version. One was called Lord Falgren's Letters, and then the second one was the Ishbane Conspiracy. Excellent, excellent. First of all, C.S. Lewis, classic uh, screw tape letters, but these are even more updated and more applicable, I think, to our lives. The first one is really for adults, the Lord Falgren's Letter. The second one, the Ishbane Conspiracy, is written for teenagers, but he exposes how Satan works and tries to keep us from becoming a Christian, and then shows how he tries to keep us from moving forward spiritually once we become a Christian. 
excellent reading. I, you, the kind of books you can't put down. Unfortunately, there's only one left back there, so you're going to have to order it yourself, or we're going to have more on the shelves pretty soon. But Lord Falgren's Letter and the Ishbane Conspiracy by Randy Elkhorn, excellent, brings this out. I want to look at a parallel passage, though, that brings out even more of this, and that is the same passage is in Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, if you want to turn back one one. Uh, one book of the Bible. If you're using the Bible that was handed out, it's page 815. But in Matthew 13, 31 to 33, we see this, the same story told, the same parable. He told them another parable. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in the field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. And we're going to see that, that more proof that this is a negative because look at the very next verse in verse 34. brings out even a, a, another part of it where it says, wait, I, I did the wrong verses. 31, 32, and now we're on 33. What did I say before? S sorry, Andrew, I'm really messing you up back there. But 31, 32, now verse 33 brings out more where he says, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. All through the dough. Now, birds, some you might want to argue, well, maybe that's not negative, but I believe it is. But the yeast puts an exclamation point on it because it shows yeast is always negative in Scripture. Always negative in Scripture. It, when Jesus says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees, what is he talking about? The false teaching of the Pharisees. It's also used of as, as, as sin. It's a, a type of sin throughout the scripture. It's always used negatively. And he's stressing here, he's stressing that false teaching and sin will penetrate the church. Now, I haven't done too much baking lately, but I asked Ginny to because I couldn't remember. I used to, my mom used to make bread, and she would take the dough and put the yeast in the dough, and then it would rise, and then we bake. And she'd let us all make our own little loaves of bread, and and she would take that yeast and give us our little bit, and then we'd have to wait for it to rise because the yeast would move out throughout the dough and make it rise up, and then you could bake it, and that was a lot of fun for us as kids, all right? But I haven't done that in a long time. But anyway, th that's what it does. It, it spreads out, and, and, it, and yeast causes the bread to rise, and it prepares it for the cooking. That's what it does. Now, it, that's a good thing for bread, but when the yeast, which is a negative, when the false teaching and the sin gets into a church, it makes it bigger. The church grows, but really it's bloat growth. It's bloated, right? It's not healthy growth. It looks good on the outside a lot. You look at these magnificent cathedrals or these mega church buildings, and they look awesome on the outside, but God might have a different view of what's going on inside that large organization called a church, right? And that's exactly what has happened. What Jesus warned about in this parable about the birds and the yeast is exactly what has happened throughout church history. Much of the growth of the church throughout history has been negative. And Satan has tried his best to penetrate the church and to poison the church and to spread his yeast. We see it starting in the book of Acts right away, right in the book of Acts. 
Look at all the times there were attacks on the, on the body of Christ, on the church of Christ in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer, a sorcerer, tries to come in and, and bring this false teaching into the church. All throughout the epistles, all throughout the epistles, we see that the, the warnings against false teaching and what, what could happen. In fact, in sec, uh-oh, I did the wrong one. Uh, first, Andrew, what did I tell you? First or second Corinthians? Second Corinthians, I did get it right. Second Corinthians 11. Second Corinthians 11, 13 to 15. He, Paul says this, talking about false teachers. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And here's people in the church that Paul is warning about, that they're servants of Christ, and yet they're leaders in the church, and, and pastors in churches, and prophets in churches. It, ha it happened even in the book, even in, in, in the church in Corinth. And it's happened all throughout the time, all throughout the epistles there's been a warning. The early church, you, you study early church history and you see constant battles with heresies. Like Gnosticism was the main one. That's why 1st and 2nd, 3rd John was written. Gnosticism, you, a lot of you say, what is that? It's, it's still alive and well today. The, the Da Vinci Code. If you read the Da Vinci Code or watched the movie... It was a bunch of garbage. It was in the fiction section, yet people believe it, right? But it's in the fiction section in the, in the bookstore. But that's just an old lie repackaged. That was Gnosticism repackaged. And that was all throughout the early church history. There was constant attacks by Satan. So that, but the church, in spite of these attacks, the church is on fire. And it looks like the Great Commission is going to be fulfilled in a very short time, within the first couple hundred years of Christ's ascension. It's wild what is happening. So Satan tries massive persecution. You read the stories of persecution in the Roman Empire, unbelievable stories of just butchery. But what happens? As fast as you kill a Christian... Two more pop up. The blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. They couldn't stop it. Satan couldn't stop it. And he finally got smart. He said, as fast as I kill them, ten more are coming. I can't stop this from happening. And he finally gets smart and he figures something out. Persecution is like pouring gasoline on fire. So he tries a different, the great deceiver, Satan, the great deceiver, the great liar, try, realizes if you can't beat them, join them. And he tries a whole new way of undermining the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what does he do? The Roman emperor, Constantine, is converted. Converted. And he makes Christianity the state religion of Rome. And the birds flocked in. The birds flocked in exactly what Jesus warned us about. We've talked about this many times. It's well documented. I have a great book on the shelf back there I just put in. Uh, called the, the Truth Encounter. Truth Encounter. Grab a copy of that if you want a, more documentation of someone who came out of, out, of, out of this movement. But what stopped the spiritual growth of the church? 300 AD time frame. Unhealthy growth. God's holy Catholic church became the Roman Catholic church. And the Roman religious practices flooded into the church. Many of you are from Roman Catholic background. And you, you look at the Bible and I've, a lot of people say to me, where did they get this from? It's 
not in the Bible. In fact, it goes against the Bible. Where did they get it from? It came from the Roman religion. Anything that you see in the Roman Catholic Church that's not in the Bible, that goes against the Bible, it came from the Roman religion. And God's word and salvation by faith and grace was buried under an avalanche of human religious traditions and religious practices that came from the Roman religion, which also borrowed from the Babylonian religion. It's amazing to see. It's amazing to see. Read this book. It took over a thousand years for this stranglehold and for this stronghold to be broken in the church through the Reformation. For a thousand years, the church was in this bondage. They called it the Babylonian captivity of the church. But the bird attack, in spite of the Reformation, the bird attack, the leaven penetrating and poisoning is still happening today. It hasn't stopped. It's happening. Look, look at the USA today. Satan is still poisoning and attacking the church of Jesus Christ. Look at the cults. The Jehovah Witness cult. The Mormon cult. Where did they come from? They started in the United States. And these are that have gone worldwide, and, 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 and these lies that have gone worldwide were birthed in the United States. The New Age movement has largely been come out of the United States. Some of you have been come out of the New Age movement. Know, know what I'm talking about? It, it, the New Age is really an old lie. It's, it's a, you know, it's it's the same garbage just repackaged from the first century. A great book that we have in the back. Usually, usually, I think I need more copies. So what's the difference? So what's the difference? Get that book, looks at all the different world religions and the cults and, and compares the Bible and Christianity to it. Excellent, excellent book. So, the, 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 pet, the lying, the, the birds, the yeast penetrating still in our country. The Protestant churches, the Protestant movement that came out of the Reformation, that, that went back to the Bible and back to salvation by faith, back to the word of God and, and being freed. The Protestant churches have now become the Protestant mainline churches. And the apostasy has continued. They're no different from what they broke away from. In fact, they're much, much worse. The, the main, most mainline Protestant churches are so apostate, there's no relationship to what they used to be. In fact, I can work much, clo- much more closely with the Roman Catholics now than I can with the mainline Protestant churches. At least the Roman Catholic churches have held on to the moral issues like pro-life movement. I can work with them. The mainline churches have thrown that under the bus. We have, I have more in common with, with, with most Roman Catholic priests than I do with most mainline Protestant pastors because the leaven has come in now and, and the, the birds have come in. And I see the same poison, the same birds, the same leaven creeping into the evangelical church today. It's happening to the evangelical church. Because God keeps bringing a renewal movement. There was a holy Catholic church, then the Protestant church, now the evangelical. God keeps bringing renewal movements into the church. His purpose, his mustard seed, the seed is going to keep on growing. But we see the same thing happening to the evangelical church. There's all this false teaching in the evangelical church today. Turn on the TV set. What is on there? Nine out of ten shows is someone preaching prosperity gospel, the health, wealth gospel. It's false teaching. Even though they mention Jesus and they claim to be evangelical, that's just all false teaching. It's a bunch of garbage. The emergent church that's coming with all the young people now, the whole emergent church that's submerging the church. It's, it's, it's a bunch of garbage. It's, it's garbage. The church growth movement has been the, the main culprit. I was talking to a couple of guys in the lobby this morning about this. The church growth movement has been one of the main culprits of bringing the evangelical church down. Because there was this movement that we have to be seeker-sensitive. 
and I'm not, I'm not against being seeker-sensitive. We, we should be seeker-sensitive. But seeker-sensitive should not trump being God-sensitive. <laughs> but that's what it's done. Seeker-sensitivity is trump being God-sensitive. And many, many churches preach politically correct, but not biblically correct. Because they don't want to offend anybody. They treat the Ten Commandments like the Ten Suggestions. They don't, they don't talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. I remember reading people saying, experts saying, don't ever talk about the blood of Jesus. You'll offend people. Nobody wants to hear about blood anymore. Well, guess what? Without the blood of Christ Jesus, there's no remission of sin. You can't preach the gospel without blood. There, I put it out there. Blood, blood, blood. All right, there, I did. All right. Although in our culture, I guess it's not a big deal with all the vampire stuff. You know, but, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. I'll, I don't want to get off on that one. But, 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 and, and they rarely mention sin. In the whole church growth marketing strategy, there's very little talk about sin or repentance. Just believe. Just take your forgiveness. Just believe. Everything's good. I, hey, I believe in belief, faith, and, 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 but there's no... There's no forgiveness without repentance. That's what starts it. It's repentance, then the forgiveness. That's how we receive the love of Jesus Christ, through that. And so we, and they also, these evangelical churches don't teach that Jesus is the only way. They've done surveys, and half the people in these churches don't believe Jesus is the only way. You know why? Because the pastors don't preach it. They don't preach it because that would be offensive. That would be offensive to teach that Jesus is the only way. And, and you don't want to offend people. They know better than Jesus who said, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, these church growth experts know better than Jesus, don't they? So what are they, we getting? We're getting these churches that are bloated. They're growing. How? Stealing people from other churches. They're growing, but they aren't preaching the truth. I'm not saying all God's spirit is working in some amazing churches and it's awesome. They pastors preach faithfully and truly and they're growing and reaching people but the vast majority that statistically 98 percent of church growth is stealing people from other churches did you know that even the massive mega church movements 98 percent of their growth is taking people from another church i remember when i first read that i was in a very large church in new england and we were growing fast we were like really growing i was one of my jobs was evangelism pastor and and I remember reading, they said, well, that's not true of our church. We're getting people saved all the time. And we were. We were seeing people saved. But I said, well, I'm just going to double check. So I went and checked our church growth. And I looked through all the people that have come in the last couple years. And I started figuring out where they came from. Did they become a Christian or did they come from another church? We did way better. We were only 96% stealing. 96% of our growth. And this was, we were all happy. We were proud of our church. 96% of our growth was taking someone from another church. 4%, we doubled the average, right? But 4% were born, became Christians to the ministry. That's what's happening in America. We're just reshuffling Christians. We're just training the churches that aren't doing such, doing, don't have as good of a worship team or as good of a youth group. And, and so we have these churches where we, we are very careful. Once again, back to the birds, back to the leaven. I... Some of my very good friends, pastors, they never mention hell. Oh, I don't want to offend anybody. They tell me that. And these are really solid evangelical churches. They, they just mention heaven. And I challenge these guys. I said, listen, so you're saying you know better than Jesus. Because Jesus mentioned hell 
27 times in the New Testament. He talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Did you know that? Twice as much he talked about hell. Why? Because he created it for Satan and his angels and he didn't want anybody to go there. So when we don't talk about hell, we're trying to grow our church in a way that Jesus is, is opposed to. We're, we, we know better than Jesus. He didn't want us to go there. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's what communion is all about. That's why we have communion. Because Jesus didn't want us to go to hell. He came and died a horrible death in our place. Because he loved us so much, he didn't want us there. And he came and died on the cross for us. And look at what Jesus says right after the parable, of uh, back in, in Matthew chapter 13. Look at what he says right after that parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. Look at what he says. The parable of the weeds explained, which he did the weeds a little earlier, but he explains it to his disciples. Then he left the crowd and went into a house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field, verse 36. Verse 37, he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the word, the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Are, are we getting that? We're either a son of Jesus Christ, or we're a son of the devil. There's no middle ground. That's what we are. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I told you it was a negative side of the mustard seed. As we get ready for communion today, how is God speaking to us? Maybe we're a Christian today and we are thinking, okay, what is God saying to me? How has Satan penetrated our lives? What yeast, what unhealthy growth is happening in our life? Because not all growth is from God. We see it and I experience it all the time. Someone could be blessed with a, a job that makes them a lot of money or blessed with super finances, and I've seen it happen. It's growth, and yet that person becomes so focused on that job that they don't grow spiritually. They get so focused on the material things that they've been blessed with that they, they get focused on that, and they don't grow spiritually because the focus is wrong, and they, and they drift away or they never grow spiritually because of that blessing that they've had. Or, they're or someone is blessed with a special ability and a special talent. Uh, I'll use uh, sports. Sports. They're blessed with a, a, an athletic ability. And so they do travel all around the place focusing on this. And they don't have any time for church or youth group or growing spiritually. And all of a sudden they disappear spiritually. Because they, that, 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 what they were blessed with, that ability they had, became more important. That growth that resulted of that became a negative to them spiritually. Remember what I talked about? few months ago if the devil can't make you bad he makes you busy and maybe maybe in your life satan has penetrated maybe he's penetrated with a bird or or with yeast 
Maybe it's a sin that has penetrated our life. It's a constant battle, isn't it? Maybe the sin is what's penetrated. And it's based on a lie. It's based on a lie. See, sin is just a lie. Sin, sin is Satan taking the world and saying, this is better than what God's plan for your life. This is better than what I created for you. This, this is what I'm offering you is better than what God has offered you or what God has given you. And it's a lie. Yeah, have you ever been a parent and, and you're trying to talk your kids out of doing something that you know is really bad for them? And you love them so much. And you don't want to see them ruin their life or be scarred for life. And so you're trying to talk them out of doing something. And, and they just, they believe the world's lie that something else is better. You ever go through that? That's what God goes through with us all the time. He's constantly saying, look at my word. I love you so much. I've given you my word and the promises in my word. And this is how I want you to live. I want you to live free. I want you to have a real life, a full life. Satan comes... Uh, uh, Satan comes to, to steal our life, but uh, uh, John 10, 10, help me with this. I got a mental block. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants to give us life to the full. He, that's what he wants because he loves us so much. But Satan comes and plants these lies and tries to get us off on these lies and, and follow the world's lies. That's what he's trying to get us to do. Something that's going to hurt us. And it's important that we are aware of these birds flying over and dropping their bombs. And you can't stop the birds from flying over, can you? You can't stop them. It's impossible to stop them or from dropping their bombs. Those thoughts, those temptations, those distractions, they're going to come. There's no way you can stop it. The temptations, the thoughts, the, the distractions, you can't stop them. But what we can do is keep the birds from building their nest. You can't stop them from flying over, but you can stop them from building a nest, from forming that stronghold. On the farm, we had something called cherry bombs. We had these orchards of cherry trees, and, and, we, and the birds would come into those trees and start to eat the fruit and steal the fruit. We saw it as stealing. It was, they thought that was theirs. And, and so what, what we, my dad would do is we had these cherry bombs. They were, they were like um, probably close to an M80. They're pretty powerful firecracker, right? And they would be wound into a, 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 a string. That, and you light the bottom of the string. And it would start burning up the string. You'd hang it in the tr out in the orchard. You guys, you guys use them? The, you guys, Dan, you ever, you ever use them for your trees? So we'd, start, we'd light the bottom. They'd burn up, and all of a sudden, there'd be this loud explosion, because one of them would, in the string, it would catch on fire to the fuse, and the, and the cherry bomb would blow up. Birds would all fly away. They'd think it was a gunshot, right? Well, about, they would keep burning up, burning up. About half an hour later, it would go off again, and that was how they kept the birds out of the cherry orchard, and they would just keep scaring them away, scaring them away when the cherries were ripe, trying to get to the time when you could pick those, those things. And that's what we need to do. Remember we talked about the, the, the gospel, Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago? The power of God, the word power, dunami, where we get the word dynamite from. The word of God is our power. As we worship, 
And as we look at God's word and as we claim that word, that's the power. That's our cherry bomb. That's what gets rid of the birds. That's what shushes them away. That keeps them from building nests. That's what destroys their ability to make nests in our mind. Satan's working on these struggles in our mind. But the problem is too many of us don't use our cherry bombs. We drop the bombs. We drop those promises. We let go of God's word. We don't memorize the scripture. We don't turn to that when we're getting hit. We don't turn to God's word and and fight the lie with God's word and the power of God's word and the spirit working through his word. We drop those bombs. We let go of those promises. We don't use it. One time, uh, in addition to throwing the cherry bomb, lighting the bombs and letting them burn up the tree and scare the birds away, my dad would also be probably because it didn't probably help much, but he just enjoyed doing it. He would get in the truck and he'd drive through the orchard and he'd be driving through the orchard along the lane and he'd light one of these cherry bombs and throw it out the window and boom, you know, and, and he'd do that, boom. Fourth of July was fun on, uh, at my house, let me tell you. <laughs> he used to load up the truck with the kids and we'd all be in the back of the truck and he'd be handing back firecrackers to us and we'd pull up the neighbors' houses and throw them on their porches and drive away and... So one of them came out with a shotgun one time. That we stopped that game. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> but back to the cherry bombs. My dad's doing this, and I was like, Dad, let me throw one. Let me throw one. I was riding in the truck, and he was doing it. And I was like, let me throw one. I was young. I, I can't remember. I was probably six or seven. I was little. And I was like, let me throw one, Dad. Let me. All right, all right. Just don't tell your mom. So he stops the truck, and he gets out because he's not going to let me throw it out of the window. And he says, he's, I'm, sitting in the, I'm like, sitting on the front seat there, and, and, and he lights it, he's now, he opens the door, and, he, and he's going to light it, and I don't just throw it, okay, just throw it, okay, okay, I'm in the truck, he's standing next to the door there, and he, and he lights the cherry bomb, and it looks so easy when he did it, but as soon as he lit that bomb, I, I got all shaky, and I dropped it, you know, in the truck, and my, I just remember my dad throwing me across the truck, I hit the other door, bounced off it, he dove out of the way, and it was like this, kaboom, you ever see that movie Saving Private Ryan where he can't hear at the end, the bomb went off and he's staggering around and can't hear anything and everybody's shouting at him? I can relate to this Private Ryan because I couldn't hear a thing. It was like a bomb went off in this truck, right? And I dropped the bomb. Didn't, didn't hurt the birds and he didn't scare the birds, but it, it wounded my eardrums, you know? And, uh, it was, and that's what happens when we, when we dr- don't use God's word, when we drop our power and we don't use his word, we don't hang on to those promises, we don't battle with his word, we end up wounded spiritually. When we don't put on the spiritual armor of God, Elizabeth Kiefer is great, she always reminds me, put on the spiritual armor of God, put on it, we've got to remind people to put on that spiritual armor of God. It's so important to fight that battle. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian yet. Maybe Satan, the big bird, has kept you from putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He's been telling you lies. He's been distracting. He's been doing anything he can to keep you from putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He hates to lose any one of us. But today is the day that you act on God's love. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How do we get eternal life? Not by being good enough, not by following religious practices, not by following rituals. We get eternal life 
by believing, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, by acting on the love of God. God loved us so much that he gave his only son. That's what this this communion is all about. He gave his son to die on the cross in our place. That's That's why Jesus died, because God loved us. God loved us, and he sacrificed his one and only son in our place on that cross. And God's not the only one who loved us, but his son Jesus loved us. Romans 5.8. But Christ... Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us so much that he died in our place. While we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, he died in our place. Why? Because he wants to set us free and he wants to give us a life that he's always wanted for us. Not a life built on lies, but a life built on the truth of God's word. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you taken that step of faith? And if you've taken that step of faith, is there anything in our life that needs to be cut out, to be cleaned up? Because that's what communion is all about, remembering the sacrifice of Christ and purifying ourselves so that we can commune with God and stay in close relationship with God. That's what it's all about. 1 Corinthians 5. I want to look at a couple verses on communion real quick. First of all, in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, verse 5, 5 verse 6 says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Tying together the yeast and the sin with a Passover lamb. Then we go ahead a few chapters to 1 Corinthians 11. Let's connect the dots here. Communion is a time to reconnect. It's a time to repent, to renounce the garbage in our life, to resist and to renew. Repenting, renouncing, resisting, and renewing. That's how we reconnect with God. And in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you, that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. As we go to the Lord's Supper, this is the time to really examine ourselves and really ask God to to cleanse us and to purify us. What it is is the the bread represents the body of Christ and the cup represents the blood of Christ. We're remembering what he did for us on that cross. We're just going to open it up in a little bit with some uh, quiet time and some music. And when you're ready, just come up and take, take the bread and the cup, your own cup, and you can go back to your seat or and... 
take it alone. You can take it with your family, with someone else. However God leads you to take this, there's no right or wrong way. It's between you and God. But if here's when we shouldn't take it. If there's something in our life where we say, God, you can't have it. Not because we sin, we all sin. But this is something, God, I'm not going to give to you. I'm not going to repent of it. Don't take the Lord's Supper. Wait till you're ready to repent. Or if you're not a Christian yet and you're not ready to take that step, then wait. But I hope, I hope everybody here is able to give something up to God or, or even giving your life to him and, and becoming a Christian so that you can commune with him not just today but every day. Let me pray. Let's open him. Let's close this in prayer. As we go to this time of prayer, let's take time to talk to God. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never acted on God's love. But the Spirit is speaking to your heart and you're understanding God's love for the first time in a whole new way. That God isn't someone that we're to fear, but he's someone that we're to turn to and to give our sin up to and to ask for forgiveness and that he loves us and he wants to change us and he wants to save us. He wants us to be with us and he wants us to be with him in heaven someday forever. But we have to act on his love. We have to put our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Will you do that today? You can take that step of faith right now, right where you're sitting. Just pray to God. Just ask God to forgive your sins. Say, God, I repent of everything I've done wrong in my life that goes against what you've taught. I repent of that. I don't want the sin anymore. I repent and I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in your son Jesus who died on the cross for me to pay for my sin. I put my faith in him, my hope, my trust in your son Jesus. I give my life to Jesus Christ. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, you can now commune. You can come up and take communion. But even more important, you can commune with God any time because you are now his child, his son, his daughter. You can commune with him any time, talk to him any time through Jesus. And you're going to experience his love in a way that you can't even imagine. He's going to change your life in a way that's can't even describe to you, but only his love can do that. I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you've taken the step of faith. Tell me on the way out, send me an email, fill out the card, tell a friend, someone you've come with, a family member. Let somebody know so we can be excited for you and pray for you and help you to learn how to commune with God on a regular basis. For those who have already put their faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? How is God talking to us this morning about his love, how much he loves us and how he wants us to be free of something and how he wants to replace a lie in our mind with the truth of his word, a stronghold, a stranglehold that's been in our life forever, it seems like, but his word and his love wants to set us free, free of a, of a bird or yeast in our life of a lie or sin in our life. Let's take this time of communion to surrender that to God.
and to commit whatever we have to commit. Maybe it's a committing to saying, I'm going to share this struggle with somebody. I need help with this. Another Christian brother or sister, a youth pastor, pastor, someone else in the church, someone I could talk to, a Christian counselor, somebody that can help me live in the love of Christ. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would complete in our hearts what you're starting through your word today. We invite your Holy Spirit to move among us in a special way in this time of communion. I pray in Jesus' name.